Hello, my name's Natasha Nabanunga Bamblet. I'm a proud Yorta Yorta, Kurnai, Walpri, and Awadri woman. And before we get started on She's on the Money podcast, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land of which this podcast is recorded on Awadri country, acknowledging the elders, the ancestors, and the next generation coming through. As this podcast is about connecting, empowering, knowledge sharing, and the storytelling of you to make a difference for today and lasting impact for tomorrow. Let's get into it. She's on the money. She's on the money. Welcome to She's on the Money, the podcast for millennials who want financial freedom. Today is a very special episode. You guys know me. I am Victoria Devine, but today we are talking rising interest rates. So I have wrangled in from my very own team, the very lovely and sometimes funny Kate Bransgrove. (laughs) Kate, welcome to the show again. Hello. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. We had a very good episode last time or the feedback was very good last time. So I thought, all right, well, why not get you back on? It seems that you know a fair bit about home loans and the rising cost of inflation and how that's impacting everybody as the director of Zeller Money, our mortgage broking firm. So, Kate... Are you excited about this? Yes, definitely. And I think it's a very important topic to cover. We've had so many DMs this Mm -hmm. week and over the last couple of weeks since you did the last episode. So it actually just made sense to do another one and drag you on whenever we talk about content like this, because our community literally is just feeling so overwhelmed at the moment when it comes to everything and nothing all at the same time. So in the first half today, Kate, we're going to be discussing the current climate. We're going to be talking specifically about rising interest rates what it means, how it works, and what the banks are doing about it. We're going to give you some history, give you some context about where it's come from and what it means. And then in the second half of this episode, we're going to have some questions from the She's All The Money community directly for you, Kate. So I hope you're prepared. Let's do it. Let's jump straight in. I want to know, first question off the bat, Kate, why are interest rates rising and what are the impacts of this for everybody in our community? Well, first of all, the term interest rates is essentially the same as the term the cash rate. And essentially the reason that interest rates are rising is because they are trying to bring down the cost of living. Which we're all complaining about at the moment. Yeah, yeah pretty much. I feel like that's really common. But at the same time, I think a lot of us are like, what the hell? What is the rising cost of living? And at the end of the day, it's just how much goods and services are costing us. Before this podcast, Kate, you were like, oh, what's the basket of goods that we're talking about? And it's quite literally a standardised basket of goods that the RBA keeps track of. You can imagine it like literally a shopping basket that you'd pick up at Coles and fill it full of goods. And maybe one year it costs you $35 to go through the checkout. And the next year it costs you $45. And those rising costs are distributed equally among all the goods in that basket. So you might not feel that a 50 cent increase on, you know, milk or bread or something really standard is that big, but over the entire basket that you take home each week, another 10 bucks is a lot for a lot of people's budgets. And over the grand scheme of things, 
it's not just the things we pick up at the supermarket. It's electricity, it's housing, it is fuel, it is everything else in the entire world. So it's 10 bucks at the grocery store. What is it across our entire budgets? It's usually a much bigger impact than just talking about cash rates, right? I think a lot of us glaze over when we hear on the news the discussion about the cash rate because we just don't care. But at the end of the day, that's how it impacts us. It impacts our basket of groceries. It impacts our fuel. It impacts our rent. It impacts everything. So with something like iceberg lettuce at the grocery (laughs) store, how does that... You've been listening to my podcast and how salty I am about the lettuce and how cheap avocados are. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So that is not actually anything to do with CPI. Confusing because at the moment it's really frustrating that they are more expensive. That's actually supply and demand. So at the moment there's a less supply of iceberg lettuces. Obviously we know that the east coast or higher up the east coast of Australia has gone through some significant flooding and that is basically an outcome of that. We have less lettuces and because we have less lettuces, they're going to have to increase in price because there's still the same demand. And what happens there is if you've got one lettuce and one person who wants to buy it, well, there's not that much competition. It's what that buyer is willing to pay for it, right? They're like, well, ha ha ha, I'm the only guy who wants to buy your lettuce, so I would like it for a dollar, thank you. And you go, all right, well, you get what you get and you don't get upset. But then on the other side, if there was one lettuce and 10 buyers, those 10 buyers are like, well, I'm rich, I'll take it for 10 because I don't want to change my lifestyle. I still want to make those tacos that I had planned for and I don't particularly care what it costs me. Whereas the person who might have only been able to afford a dollar goes, well, I'm out of the market. I can't afford that. I'm going to have to find a suitable alternative. So that's supply and demand at play. And on the flip side with avocados, there's heaps of them at the moment. So they're really cheap. Yeah. So I think it's important for the listeners to understand there's a difference between supply and demand compared to what we're also talking about, which is inflation. Yeah. And And they're all happening at the moment and it's all getting quite complex and twisted together. And I think a lot of us are thinking all of this has something to do with the rising cash rate, but it doesn't. However, the rising cash rate is what we're here to talk about today because interest rate rising has been a very hot topic in our community. It makes a lot of us anxious. Kate, you and I talked to First Home buyers literally every day. And the most disheartening conversation we're having at the moment is, oh my gosh, we've been on your journey with you. You've got pre-approval, you're about to buy, but the cash rate is going to increase at some point, which means if you could borrow $600,000 tomorrow, if you found your dream home, if it takes another month, that might drop down to like $580,000 and change the goalposts of what you can afford, but also what we're looking for in the market. And that can be really stressful because we've had these goalposts in line for so long, right? Like, how long does it take to save a home deposit? Like, so long. And then it's like being shot in the foot. It's a really disheartening experience at the moment. All right, Kate, let's put a pin in the conversation about supply and demand. No more conversation about lettuces and avocado. (laughs) But let's talk about inflation and why it is so high at the moment. Yeah, V, so what is going on? Is it global stuff? Is it stuff in Australia? What's actually happening? There's a lot going on at the moment, obviously, but I think the person who put it best is actually the governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia. His name is Philip Lowe. And recently he said, I'm going to read this word for word and try and sound really official because he's from the RBA. Are you ready? (laughs) So he said, global factors explain much of the increase in inflation, but domestic factors are also playing a role. There are widespread upwards pressures on price from strong demand, a tight labour market and capacity constraints in some sectors of the economy. The floods this year are also affecting some prices 
inflation is expected to peak later this year and then decline back towards the 2 to 3% range. So that doesn't seem so scary if we zoom out. So on She's on the Money all the time we talk about if in doubt, zoom out and look at the bigger picture. Don't worry so much about the fact that it's really expensive right now because in the grand scheme of things, things will work out. You're a broker. You would know a bit about the history of inflation and mortgage rates and what it used to be. And I have a dad who used to be like, oh my God, I bought my house and the interest rates were so expensive. So like, tell us, Kate, when has inflation been historically high? Because this idea that inflation will drop back down to the 2 to 3% range, that makes me a bit happy. Like, that's what I've been leaning on as a financial advisor when I predict, you know, cash rates and cash flows for clients. If we have a client who's like, oh, I've got a 2% mortgage, I go, great, let's pretend it's 3% right now in case some wiggle happens and we shoot ourselves in the foot. We want some budgeting advice. But talk to us. What happened historically? Like, it's been way more expensive, right? So in the 1970s and 1980s, rates were a lot higher than what we are currently seeing. So rates were in the mid-7% range and they moved up steadily until they were at 9% in 1974. Ew. Yep. So they briefly dipped before climbing all the way to 11% in 1979. And people probably thought that was terrible then, but but it but got worse. Stay tuned. It got worse. <laughs> the rates then increased even higher up to 17% Blech. in 1989, staying there all the way up until April 1990. That was before both of us existed. So yes. we can pretend it didn't even happen. Exactly. And as much as we look at it and go, all right, well, that's quite stressful because I can't imagine paying 17% on a mortgage because that's so much money. We also need to remember that 17%, you know, there's a lot to this, but 17% on a mortgage is very unlikely to happen again because of how much houses cost these days. Exactly. Like that's just completely unfeasible. Whereas back then you could buy a whole house for like $20,000. And while we're not taking into consideration the fact that yes, historically there were different pay rates. Like back then being paid 20 grand a year was like creme de la creme. That might've been a really good income. But if we contextualize it a bit, historically, I'm pretty sure in 1991, when I was born, homes cost between two and four times your annual salary to purchase. So taking out of the conversation the interest rate and, you know, what you got paid, two to four times your annual pay. So you go, all right, that seems reasonable. Now in Melbourne, we're paying 13 times our annual salary on average for a property. What? Exactly. That to me is the big way of explaining it because I think that we look at it and go, oh, but our parents were able to buy it and then they go, oh, but our interest rates were so high and they like give these excuses in a way to be like, oh, yeah, we might have earned less, but at the same time, like interest rates were cooked, Kate. <laughs> is that what you your go, dad sounds no, like? No, <laughs> absolutely not. He's, he's much classier than that. But you go, all right, no problems. But to go, all right, well, Kate, two times your income to buy a house, you go, that makes sense. So 17% on that, I mean, it probably did cripple a lot of people, but 17% on that is not nearly as much as 17% on 13 times your annual income. Like to me, that's that's a lot. I think it's important as well to look at the big picture. So the big picture is although, and that was the case back then. So like you said, only, you know, houses costing two to four times more than your annual wage. 
and taking this into consideration now, just because rates aren't that high doesn't mean it's not really stressful for people exactly. based on what the rates currently are. And why? Because that's what we're used to. We're exactly. not used to it being so much higher. Exactly. And it's more about yeah, okay, Victoria and Kate, like we know that that happened. We don't care. We're still financially stressed. And we know that in 2019, the RBA cut the cash rate to its lowest ever point. Everyone was like, wow, this is so crazy. It was 1%. That happened in July 2019. And it was basically because of intense competition among all of the lenders out there. And the market leading variable home loan interest rates then fell below 3%. Like, remember when that happened? We were yeah. like, what? Like, let's refinance yeah. all of our clients. This is such a good deal. Yep. Like, let's put our clients in the best possible position. Then COVID happened and yep. we're like, oh, what is this? <laughs> this is ick. But I think the real conversation here is not necessarily around the historics of it. It's nice to understand the historics because it gives us context, but that doesn't mean that our community aren't struggling here and now. And what is the real advice today? So interest rates are increasing. Kate, Give me some examples. You literally talk to clients every single day about this. Have you got clients at the moment that are stressing over this? Yeah. So we have a lot of clients that we've done, say, pre-approval for, and we explain to them that, okay, you right now, based on interest rates, can afford to buy for, say, $600,000, mm-hmm. but that's at the max that they can actually afford. So a conversation we're having is even though right now the bank is saying, hey, yeah, that's okay, you can go and buy for $600,000, here's pre-approval, if then there is a rate increase, clients need to understand that that could then drop their borrowing and they're actually now not pre-approved for 600, they're actually only pre-approved for say 570. So it can have such an impact in terms of the borrowing, which then is causing more stress onto people because they're trying to afford something that maybe they actually can't. And like you said earlier, that we should be allowing for this buffer to ensure that going ahead, they actually can afford what they're looking at buying. Yeah, absolutely. And a couple of weeks ago, I think it was actually only last week, we saw that interest rates were increased again or the cash rate was increased again by the RBA. That doesn't immediately mean that my mortgage is going to increase by, you know, 0.85%, right? What does that actually mean? Yeah. So just because the RBA increases the cash rate, it's still up to banks as to what they actually pass on to someone's mortgage. So we saw, say, an increase of 0.5 onto the cash rate and some banks, they increased their interest rate by 0.65. Yeah, we saw that literally happen recently, right? So it's kind of up to the bank as to what they charge and whether they pass that on to you or not. Yes. Why? is that the case? It's just because banks can literally do whatever they want. If they choose to pass on a certain amount, they can do it because that's what they chose to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a really important point to not press on about, but to contextualise. I think so many people think that banks are in a way government run and they are not. The RBA is the government stipulating what the cash rate is. And that's essentially what banks can borrow money at so that they can then lend it to you. Because banks are that third party in the middle that go, okay, Kate, you want a mortgage? No problems. We'll get some money for you. We'll get that sorted. You'll buy your house. You'll pay us back an interest rate. And that interest rate will pay us money. And that's how we generate a profit. But if the banks are having to pay a higher interest rate to borrow the money that they then lend to you, they're not making as big a profit, right? So they then have to weigh up, all right, is it better to keep our customers happy and lower our profit margin? Or is it better to pass on the increase to them so that their profit margin stays exactly the same? 
Or in your example before where it's 0.5 and it went up by 0.65, there must be some reason that they are looking at it going, do you know what? We actually can't afford to not pass that on, but there's also maybe some additional administrative costs or some reason why we want to increase it now. Maybe they're foreseeing another rate increase later that they want to be able to articulate, okay, we didn't pass that one on to you. Because they clipped the ticket earlier. Exactly. So there's just a lot of reasons why a bank might or might not pass that on to you. But it doesn't necessarily mean that your personal mortgage will go up. Yes. But it's really important to understand how that impacts your borrowing capacity because it can be really disheartening. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, are property prices coming down? What are you seeing? Is this good or bad? Or how's the market reacting? Yeah, so the market is definitely dropping. So house prices are dropping, which you go, oh, awesome. House prices are dropping, especially for first-home buyers wanting to get into the market. Sounds really exciting. But then to flip it, they're, like I said earlier, the borrowing that they used to have because interest rates were lower, they actually can't now afford that. So then the question is, are rates increasing higher than what the market is actually dropping? And is that actually benefiting them? with being able to get into the market. Are you seeing buyers at the moment be a little bit more apprehensive about purchasing or what are their takes? How are they feeling? Yes, definitely. They're so much more apprehensive. And something we're trying to explain to them is if you are seeing that the interest rate right now, say the interest rate's 3.5% that you would be on and your mortgage repayment is $2,000, we are then showing them, okay, if the interest rate was actually 5.5% and this is what your repayment would be, could you comfortably afford that? If they go, no, that would be so stressful, I wouldn't even mm -hmm. want to go near that, then maybe it isn't the right time for you to buy. But some people are looking at that and going, yeah, actually, I can really still comfortably afford that 5.5% interest rate. Let's do it. Let's go for it. Let's buy a yeah. house because it still suits us right now. Yeah. And I guess that's a really important point you actually bring up and I've just thought about because obviously on the show, we're always like, talk to a broker. They'll put you in the best possible position. So I sit down with you, Kate. I say, I really want a mortgage. You're not actually showing me the numbers of like, hey, you can afford this, get the maximum. You're actually looking at my cash flow and how much money I have to make sure that I'm in an optimal position. And banks actually require you to be assessed at a higher interest rate, right? Yes. Kate, explain yeah. how that works. So if an interest rate, again, say is 3.5%, most banks are actually basing your borrowing on a 3% buffer. So they're basing it off 6.5%. Yes. Now, obviously they're allowing for that, which is really good, but something that's still really important is going through your living expenses and saying, okay, but could I actually afford this in my yeah. budget if it was higher? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a really important factor as well, because it's not something that a lot of you know. It's not something that you immediately go, okay, well, the bank said it's 3.5%, therefore they're going to assess me at that. They don't. It no. used to be seven and a half. It has now dropped back down to is six and a half now, isn't it? Yeah, it's usually that 3% buffer. Yeah. So it'll depend on which lender and what the rate is, they add the buffer. Easy. So you're going to sit me down and say, all right, let's look at your cash flows. Victoria, could you afford it at six and a half percent? If not, maybe not a good time to buy because we just don't want you getting shot in the foot. And there's nothing worse, literally nothing worse than committing to a mortgage that you then can't afford because that forces you down a route of either not being able to pay for it or being forced to sell a property that you didn't want to and dispose of an asset that's meant to be generating you wealth. So it can feel, from my perspective, like a very stressful period of time where you're like, but I really want to get into the market. But you actually have to take the emotion out of the transaction and go, all right, is this actually a good idea? Not, 
I've been working so hard for this. I deserve it. Like that's not going to help you over the long term because even if you deserve it, we absolutely think you do. Mm -hmm. But do you deserve to lose it if you can't afford it because you made a decision that put you in a sticky situation? I don't know. And if you listen back, recently we did an episode about recessions and what that means. And obviously right now is not the best time to be taking on massive risk. But at the same time, it's all about really understanding your risks. So Kate, what can we do? Obviously, I'm going to say focus on your budget. What does that mean though? So I think it's really important, and this is a conversation we're having with a lot of clients, is doing a proper budget where every cent you're figuring out, okay, how much extra cash do I actually have to go towards a mortgage? Once you sit down and figure that out, and again, allowing for that buffer of an interest rate, some clients want to do that buffer at 5%, some want to see it at 7%, because again, it depends on the, the person and how much- yeah, how risky you are. We just want to do the things that make you the most comfortable, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And everyone's different. So it's really important then with your budget to go, okay, I can afford a repayment all the way up to 7%. And so I might actually be comfortable if I am purchasing a house now. If the answer is no and you say, oh, hang on, I'm going to have to sacrifice a lot of things that also really align with my values and are important, then again, maybe it isn't the best time for you to buy because you got to weigh up what's actually right for you in this moment. All right, Kate, but a lot of people might be listening to this and they're like, look, I just want to understand it. I don't want to have a full conversation with a broker yet because that can feel like a very overwhelming step. I promise you it's not. We're really nice people. We won't bite you. <laughs> but what if I don't want to talk to a broker? What can I do? Yeah, so if you just go on Google and Google repayment calculator, mm -hmm. put in what your mortgage is going to be, put in an interest rate and you can choose that interest rate. And a lot of people might be thinking, but what interest rate do I actually input? Again, allow for that buffer. So whether you want to do an interest rate at 5.5% or 6% or 6.5%, and put that in, see what the repayments are, and you've got your answer off Google what to allow for. Yeah, and I think we can go back to that fact you said before. Most banks allow 3%. So if you're seeing the average interest rate or the average mortgage is costing about 3.5%, just add 3% to that and go from there. I think having those guidelines are going to make you feel a little bit more comfortable when you're guessing. Because I remember way back when I was looking at mortgage calculators, way before I was in finance, I was like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know how this works, mm -hmm. but one of the things you can do is basically just Google the interest rate on a standard mortgage that one of the big banks have. I'm not saying that we're going to go with them because it might not be the best option for you, but it's a pretty good starting point to understand it. And it's also a really empowering position to be in when you do have a chat with a broker because you can say, hey, Kate, actually, I've done this, this and this, and I'm feeling this. And you go, yeah, cool, no problems. Let me validate all of that for you. Let me make sure that all of that was absolutely correct. So we're on the same page. And it's just a really great way to start a conversation with a broker because one, it shows the broker that you're so ready and you're so excited and they can share your excitement. Yeah. But at the same time, it's going to probably make you feel a little bit more confident and comfortable because you kind of know what to expect. And it's going to tell you what those mortgage repayments are and something that you can do to take it a little step further from my perspective. And this is something Steve and I did before we got into our first mortgage is we overestimated what that mortgage would cost us. So our mortgage rate is under 3% at the moment, money win, but we added that 3% and then we started transferring what that mortgage repayment was going to be for about three or four months beforehand, just to see what that felt like. Because some of us are so gung-ho on getting into our first home that we save every single dollar we have and we compromise our lifestyles to get to that point, but we don't really consider what the mortgage repayments are going to look like. And they can actually be 
often exactly what you've been saving for the home deposit. Are you willing to do that for 30 years? If not, we need to reframe what that house is going to cost you to put you in a position where you're comfortable with the mortgage repayments, can still have a good lifestyle because I totally get the hustle of trying to save your house deposit as quick as possible because it feels short-lived. But if you then go and get a mortgage and it's the same amount as what you were saving before and you go, oh, it's fine. I know I can save that. You go, all right, but are you willing to compromise your lifestyle for that long to actually achieve that goal? And it's a really good conversation to have, especially if you're buying with a partner to go, is this how we actually want to do it or not? So from my perspective, that was a really good tool to actually set our expectations before we got a mortgage. But Kate, let's go to a really quick break. And after we're going to be having a chat with the community about their questions when it comes to the interest rate rise. Don't go anywhere. All right. Welcome back, Kate, to the second half of your episode with She's on the Money. How's it going? Good. You're doing Thank all right. You. Do you yeah. reckon you got invited back? Mm, I hope so. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Yeah, Do you like well, me? I, I really oh, like okay. you. Yeah, right, yeah, cool. yeah. You're a nice lady. Thank you. But today we are talking all about interest rate rises and how stressful they are. But as promised, guys, we have an audience Q&A. Last week we asked on the She's on the Money Instagram stories what you guys wanted to know about rising interest rates. And we have a few questions. Are you ready? I'm so ready. All right. So first question comes from Jenna. And Jenna says, my broker suggested extending out my loan term, which means I'll have lower repayments. But the thought of that is really stressful. How does that work? So we are seeing this a lot where people might have, say, a 25-year loan term and they're considering refinancing because it is a really good time to look at refinancing. And we go, okay, if your loan term is currently 25 years, if you extended it out to 30 years, it will, as this question states, lower your repayments. However, what people are not always realizing is just because you extend your loan term back out to 30 years, it doesn't mean you still can't pay your loan off in a smaller amount of time. Mm -hmm. What it's allowing is that if there's any period of time with the rates rising that you're feeling a bit stressed with money and a bit tight, you've been given that option to be able to make a smaller repayment because your loan term is now longer. Let me rephrase this in the short term means it might take a little bit of pressure off and then when cash flows easier and the world is a little kinder we could reassess that with a broker and put ourselves in an even better position is that how that might work correct 100% i think one of the caveats there that i really want to point out though is sometimes and you see this in people who maybe have always left their mortgage as not a priority they just have it and they're like yep yeah, i'll just pay it off and then they see online that there's a lower interest rate and they're like oh money win i'll just go swap to that bank and they reset their term and then they get close to retirement and they still have a relatively large mortgage because the way mortgages work is I would say that they're front-loaded and that means that you pay most of your interest in the first few years of your mortgage. Yep. So I did some calculations a little while ago and I've got them up, Kate. Do you want to hear them? Yes, tell yeah. me. Can you please make sure these are correct? Okay. All right, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so say you've got a loan amount of $450,000. That's a pretty standard amount to have on a mortgage for our She's on the Money community at an interest rate of 3.5%. Did you know you would know? I know. You know. Yeah, that in know. the first year, every single month that you pay off your mortgage, $1,300 of that is just interest. Yuck. Like that's a lot of money, right? But if we go further down and you're like, all right, Victoria, well, what does interest look like after 10 years? I go, all right, well, that's $269.15. 
after that period of time. And you go, well, that doesn't make sense. But it does because mortgages are front-loaded, which means most of your interest is going to be paid off in the first five or six years of that loan. And if you keep resetting your loan term, you're often putting yourself in a position where you're paying the bank more money, but not actually dropping down that principal. So while that can be a really good strategy, and I know that a few people will go, do you know what, that works for me in this current period of time, because it keeps a roof over your head. It means that there are lower monthly repayments and nobody's in any trouble, but it does mean we need to revisit it and work with a broker to once we get into a better financial position or get through this period of time, put ourselves in a better position because so many people often go, oh, great mortgage rate, reset their term, pay heaps of interest to the bank. And if we calculate how much they've paid over that period of time, they could have paid off their house twofold, but they're now nearly 60 and still have a mortgage. So I think it's really important to put a bit of context to it that yes, resetting your loan term is really important but talk to your broker about what that means and how that will impact you. Because if you've had your mortgage for 10 years, never looked at it, but you're like, do you know what? I should go talk to Kate or I should talk to somebody about this. One thing I'd talk about is, okay, well, what is the new loan term? Is it now 20 years instead of 30? Or what are we mitigating here to make sure that I'm not paying the bank more than we need? Because a lower interest rate can look real sexy, Mm -hmm. can be like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I'm paying less, what a money win. But at the same time, it could be shooting you in the foot. And I know you don't have to give the heads up to Kate because she'll work that out for you. But if you're working with a broker that we don't know, sometimes you just need to give them a little prod so they're not just making you happy in the short term by going, oh, here's a lower interest rate and a lower repayment. And you go, wow, they're amazing. Five-star Google review. But they haven't actually put you in the best possible financial position. So I think that a broker has a responsibility to do both for you. And sometimes you need to give them a little prod to do it. Yes. Next question comes from Mishka. Hi, Mishka. Mishka says, how much of an impact does rising interest rates have on me if I'm looking to purchase? I know we already covered this, but I've included it anyway because I think you've probably got some hot other tips for us that we haven't yet heard. Yes. So something we're doing with a lot of our clients is we'll sit down, we'll do their borrowing, we'll look at their budgeting. Like we said earlier, we'll allow for that buffer to see how much they can comfortably afford. However, we're still getting some clients that even if right now, using the example I did earlier, they can purchase for 600000 based off today's interest rate. They want to apply for their absolute max, which at the end of the day, we explain all of the risks, we explain the current market. They go, nope, I want to apply for 600000 because I feel like I can comfortably afford that. Yep. An interest rate rise happens after they've got their pre-approval, their borrowing drops, that pre-approval is essentially irrelevant. Eek. But what's a bit scary is if they don't realise that, and their broker hasn't upfront explained the risks. They think, great, I've got a pre-approval. They go to an auction where it's an unconditional purchase. Auctions in general really scare scare me. (laughs) So they go to an auction where they go, great, I've got pre-approval for $600,000. I can spend that easy. Yep, up to $600,000. And what do you know? An interest rate rise has actually happened that has impacted their situation. The max they could go up to is now, say, $550,000. And they're in a sticky situation all 
because up front they weren't informed of the overall picture and the impacts it could have. Yeah, and that means a few things, right? And some of you might not be aware of this. Some of you are going to know this because you've been shot in the foot by it before. But when you go unconditional on a property, if you back out of that, you lose your deposit. Yeah. We're not saying, oh, my God, you can talk your way out of it. It'll be fine. No, they'll keep your deposit. You've lost that. You won't be able to move on to another house that is now 550 because you now don't have a deposit and you're further back. What you have to do is find a way to get another 50 grand. And that can be so stressful. And I've seen people do it before. I've had messages from people in our community going, hey, hey, this is this exact thing has happened. And we thought we had approval for, you know, 600 and we don't, and I need to get 25 grand and my parents don't have it. And I've got to get a short term, like, what do I do? And there are ways around it sometimes, mm. but there have been people who have lost their deposits in this circumstance, which is why an open line of communication with your broker, be their best friend, yeah. be in their pocket. Don't feel like you're too much. At the end of the day, like text us, go, hey, I'm going to go to an auction. Still all good, yeah? Yeah. And like, that's what we're have doing. Have that conversation yes. because I promise your broker's obsessed with property as well. Mm. They want to know you're going to an auction. They want to congratulate you. You're not being a burden. Just have a chat to make sure you're in the best possible situation. One of the worst things you can do at this point in time, from my perspective, Kate, is to get your pre-approval and not talk to your broker yeah. for a while because you're like, oh, the pre-approval lasts three months. Yeah. Like that is the worst thing ever. If you're planning on going to an auction or putting an offer in on a house, just touch base with your broker. Be like, hey, this is what I'm going to do because we do that every day, Kate. Yeah. Like it is literally our job. Yeah. We might even give you some tips and tricks on how to save some cash or how to put in an offer that exactly. is a little bit more attractive yeah. or do you know what I mean? Like yeah. chat to us. I think it's We're important. as excited as you are. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important upfront knowing the movement you have. So to flip that, we'll have clients that we go, hey, you can actually borrow and purchase for 850000 but you're only borrowing and purchasing for $650,000. So just so you know, if there are a couple of rate rises, depending on what they are, you're probably going to be okay. So upfront, clients knowing absolutely as much as they possibly can and are as informed as possible is vital with all of these interest rate rises. Couldn't agree more. So summary of that is talk to your broker. Yes, it impacts you, but let's understand what both circumstances look like and overestimate it, right? Yes, perfect. All right. Next question, Kate, is from our friend Tegan. Tegan asks, is it a good time to buy or should I wait? So we are getting asked this question all Why the time. Why do you time. think I picked it? Good. It's a staged good question. <laughs> I mean, Tegan asked it, but I was like, all right, well, cheers, Tegan. I'm going to go and ask Kate. Good. So we're getting asked this all the time. And the reason being is what we touched on before. It is scary out there at the moment. Everything we hear in the media, people going, oh, but I'll just wait because the market's dropping. Oh, but interest rates are rising. So I'll just wait until they come down. A few things with this is we never know when the market's actually fully dropped. You don't know that dropping point. Same with when a market peaks. You don't know when that that peak is. The key thing with this is can you afford to buy and again, allowing for a budget with those rates. We'd be so rich, Kate. So rich. Like we'd be rolling in it if we knew when the market dipped and when the market was going to peak. Like, unfortunately, and I've said this before, people are going to be so sick of me. I sound like a broken record all the time on this podcast, but I'd be a real wealthy woman if I knew when the market was going to peak and <laughs> yep. when it was going to drop. Because do you know what I'd do? All I'd do, Kate, is 
buy at the bottom, sell at the top. Buy at the bottom, <laughs> yeah. sell at the top. <laughs> and repeat forever. Yeah, and repeat <laughs> yes. forever. And then I'd be like, How rich, rich. And then people would talk about me in the same way they talk about Warren Buffett. It'd be sick. But I will get a better car than he has. Yes, of course. Yeah, like, I'm Obviously. not, not going to live no. that life. No, no. Like, if you're rich, rich, <laughs> I'm going to look fancy, you know? All right, Victoria, you can have your fancy car. I'm going to have a fancy yeah, car. One good. day I'm going to drive past. I'm going to do chap laps. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what a chaplap is, Chapel Street, really fancy street here in Melbourne. You drive your car real slow (laughs) with your music pumping down it and people will know how cool you are. I think we focused a lot on first home buyers, but it's important with this question as well as is it a good time to buy or should I wait? That if you are selling to be able to buy, you have to remember that you're selling in the current market and you're buying in the current market. Mm -hmm. So they're essentially cancelling each other out. And I think if people are holding off going, oh, just hold off because the market might drop the house you currently own is also going to drop in that market yeah. most likely. So that's another thing that is, is it a good time to buy? Well, essentially it might, you know, make no difference because you're buying and selling in the same market. Yeah, it's a really good point. The other thing I think is worthy of bringing up here is property is a long-term purchase. Like it's not something that you burn and churn and you buy it one year and then sell it two years later unless you've had significant capital growth because there are lots of costs that are associated with buying. So it's not just like buying a share and then it goes up a little bit and you sell it and make a profit. Buying a property includes conveyancing costs, you know, property costs, land tax. It includes stamp duty. And these days stamp duty, obviously it's different based on which state or territory you're in. And it's also going to, you know, maybe not apply to you if you get a concession on it. However, we need to take these things into consideration when we're talking about buying and selling because it is a really big commitment. But going back to the long-term aspect of it, from my perspective, the best time to buy is when it is perfect for you. It's when you are in a very comfortable financial position, when you feel like you can afford the repayments. It actually doesn't matter what the market is doing because if you're like, oh my gosh, the market's off. I promise you, over 10 years, that's not going to matter. Exactly. If you paid an extra 10 or 20 or even $50,000 for a property, if it's the right property for you. So I think it's really important. Again, if in doubt, zoom out and look at the big picture and go, well, Kate, you know, we're married. We are now at a stage where we want to buy property, but we're seeing in the media all of this stuff about, you know, not being a good time to buy. But I've spoken to my broker. We're really comfortable with it. We've worked out what our interest rates could look like are we all good to do this? And you go, yeah. Yeah. But I think too often we get carried away with what the media is saying or what Jerry down the road thinks or what your uncle's brother's cousin (laughs) said. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I just think it's so important to kind of go on your own journey. And that's why it's important to surround yourself with a team and a team of really, really experienced people that are going to be able to be like, oh, don't listen to the news. News doesn't know anything. Yeah, they write about the cash rate, but this is what it means for you in particular. All right, Kate, is there anything else you would like to add before we go and grab a coffee? Yes. One more thing on a positive note. Oh, that's a nice place to leave. It is, isn't it? What a gal. (laughs) Me trying my hardest, you coming in solo. (laughs) So something we have seen since all of these rate rises is some of the main banks have actually dropped their fixed rates by a whole percent. Oh, that's nice of them. And it's something we haven't really seen in the media. So Yeah, because that's not actually going to make headlines, is it? That's not that sexy. We only 
only want to know when banks are being naughty. The scary stuff. So I put this up on my Instagram and the amount of positive feedback of people being like, thank oh my you. Gosh, like, yeah. thank you for telling us something that's actually positive amongst everything that seems so scary. So I just wanted to add that at the end. I like it. Unfortunately, guys, that is all we have time for today. We'll get Kate back on the show. So keep sending us your broking questions. Keep talking to us about property because it is a topic we want to discuss more often on the podcast because at the end of the day, it's impacting you guys. You're stressed about it. It is our job to make you feel not stressed. With that said, we need to disclaimer the fact that the advice shared on She's on the Money is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. She's on the Money exists purely for educational purposes and should not be relied upon to make an investment or a financial decision. And we promise I, Victoria Devine, and She's on the Money are authorised representatives of InFocus Securities Australia Proprietary Limited, ABN 47097797049, AFSL 236523. We will see you soon, Kate. Good job. Good job, honey. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 